Human beings think of ourselves in terms of our relationships. This is natural. It's how God created us. And I have many wonderful relationships, and then I have other relationships. Most of those are the result of the sin-sick world that we live in, either because of me or because of them. But nevertheless, the two most important relationships I have were, are defined by very short sentences. On December 16th, 1995, my favorite person on the planet said, I do. Yes. And then, in John chapter 19, verse 30, my favorite person in the universe said, it is finished. These two relationships and the promises that created them define who I am with every single person in the world. Another one of my very favorite promises in Scripture is not as short, but is as profound. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Today we come to literally one of the most stunning sentences after having traversed some of the most important ground in Scripture going through Romans 1-7. through So much so that it is easy to speak in superlatives. Romans 8 is the Mount Everest of the Himalayas of Scripture. These 650 or so words are the most important ever spoken in human history. Romans 8 has been described as the tree of life in the midst of the Garden of Eden. So much for superlatives. We can go on. But what matters is that we get at this truth. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. This is what Paul helps us to understand as we come to the Mount Everest chapter of Scripture. Now I'm going to divide Romans 8 into three sections. Tonight will be Romans 8, 1 to 17, how God the Spirit liberates. And then in Romans 8, 18 to 27, next week we will get to this God the Spirit gives hope. And then a few weeks after that, in Romans 8, 28 to 29, we will see that God the Spirit empowers and empowers us to be more than conquerors through all of the difficulties that this life throws at us. Tonight, in our passage, we will learn to live by the Spirit or die by the flesh. In one sentence, Romans 8 teaches us that living by or in the Spirit is true life. Why is this so? Because God the Spirit liberates us from the condemnation of the guilt and the authority of the law. God the Spirit gives us hope in light of living in this sin-sick world. And God the Spirit empowers us to be more than conquerors as we see all that the world uses to threaten our joy in Christ. Let's see the first third of our chapter, Romans 8, 1-17. through There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. 
For the law of the Spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. For God has done what the law, weakened by the flesh, could not do. By sending His own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin, God condemned sin in our flesh in order that the righteous requirements of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh. But those who live according to the Spirit set their minds on the things of the Spirit. For to set the mind on the things of the flesh is death. But to set the mind on the the Spirit is life and peace. For the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God, for it does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. You, however, are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit, if, in fact, the Spirit of God dwells in you. Anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to Him. But if Christ is in you, Although the body is dead because of sin, the Spirit is life because of righteousness. If the Spirit of Him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, He who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through His Spirit who dwells in you. So then, brothers and sisters, we are debtors not to the flesh to live according to the flesh. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit Himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with Him in order that we may also be glorified with Him. We find in this passage the big idea that we are to live by the Spirit or die by the flesh. Let's see how Paul makes this point. We start in Romans 1, 8, 1 through 4. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the Spirit of life has set you free from the law of sin and death. For God has done, for God has done what the law, weakened by the flesh, could not do. By sending His own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin, He condemned sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. Now each week we give one key question. Each passage is always going to answer at least one key question. This time we're actually going to look at two key questions that you'll see how they're related. The first is, how can I have a clear conscience when I know that I sin all the time? Anybody ever struggle with that one? Then, the question we'll spend most of the time tonight on is how does the Spirit work in me and through me to free me from the slavery that I am in to whatever flavor of sin that I am accustomed to? So let's start with verse 1. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. By the way, have you figured out I like saying that? 
There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Paul begins here with a tentative conclusion. Therefore. And as we will see as he finishes this chapter, he will be halfway done in terms of the themes that he wants to clarify for us in Romans. You remember in chapter 1, Paul began his scathing condemnation for every human being outside of Christ. As we get to chapter 3, we learn that justification, that is having a right relationship with God, comes by faith, by trusting in God's promises for us in Christ, and quite apart from any works that we might have in ourselves. And then the next four chapters, 5, 6, 7, and 8, we see that they hold together because they are an expression of, they give meaning to the phrase, shall live. You remember when we were in chapter 1, the big idea of Romans is found in one seventeen: The one who by faith is righteous shall live. And over the next couple of weeks, we're going to finish that point shall live. And it is only by God's grace. It is only by God's grace. God's power in us and through us to accomplish His purposes that we are freed from the wrath of God in chapter 5. We are freed from the guilt of sin in chapter 6. We are freed from the authority of the law in chapter 7. And here in Romans chapter 8, we are freed from slavery to death and condemnation. I need an amen for that. Amen. I'm free. I don't have to be afraid. All of the worst possible things that could have ever happened for me are gone. They are not for me. They are not for you. Amen? Amen. Now last time we spent a considerable amount of effort discussing the fact that the law is holy and righteous and good. And, And we discussed that the law will neither justify nor sanctify. Why? If it's holy and righteous and good, why doesn't it justify and sanctify? Because it was never meant to. The law was meant to point out my sin so that with my sin, I would run to Christ. And in running to Christ, I and those with us would find relief from both the guilt and the authority of the deceitful sin in my own heart. That's where we were in Romans 7. And yet, and yet, we found at the end of Romans 7 that the holy and righteous and good requirements of the law have not been done away with. Indeed, in Matthew chapter 5, Jesus says, you must be holy as your Father in heaven is holy. Guess what? You're not holy as your Father in heaven is holy. So, Romans 8, God has done what the law, weakened by my flesh, could not do. By sending His own Son in the likeness of my sinful flesh and for sin to be a sacrifice to do away with the penalty of my sin, 
in the likeness of sinful flesh, and for sin, God the Father condemned sin in the flesh, in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us. Did you catch that? We need to praise Jesus for that. God did this in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in me. And believe me, I know a lot of sins that come out of my heart. So, praise Jesus. And we've just answered our first question. How can I have a clean conscience when I know that I sin all the time? My conscience is clear because by grace, through faith, I have been justified. God declared a right relationship between us into existence. God fulfilled all the requirements that I could not and I am free from the condemnation that I deserve. That is good news. That is something to praise Jesus about. In fact, that is better than winning the lottery. So I have to ask another question. If this is better than winning the lottery, wouldn't you want to know if you won the lottery? I mean, let's be honest here, right? I would want to know. Is there anybody here that just wouldn't care? But if such a lottery prize was available, then we need, it's crucial for us to discover who might have won it. And so Paul tells us, Paul tells us who wins this better than the lottery prize. Those who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. Uh Uh-oh. Sounds like a bait and switch going on there. Wait. In order to win this prize... I have to be one who walks not according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. Woo! Well, that brings us to our next question. How does the Spirit work in and through me to free me from the slavery to my own flavor of sin? Answer, God the Spirit works in us and through us to fight our flesh. That is, our natural tendency towards sin. Which is why... We must live by the Spirit or we will die by the flesh. Let's see. Let's start to see how that happens. Verses 5 through 8. For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh, but those who live according to the Spirit set their minds on the things of the Spirit. For to set the mind on the flesh is death, but to set the mind on the Spirit is life and peace. For the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God. For it does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. Now you have heard me over the last years talk about how the mind and the heart and the body all are related and are interrelated to form the whole person. And so when Paul speaks of the mind, he imagines that part of us that thinks. We can bring things to mind and and we can consider them. We can cogitate. And with our hearts, then, we approve or disapprove of the things that we're thinking about. And then with our bodies, we reinforce with our actions those things that we approve or disapprove of, those things that we think about. 
And as our bodies go through this, these thoughts and these feelings or affections become ingrained in us. They become like a rut on a road in Haiti that you better be sure you like because you're going to be in it for the next 22 miles or 22 years. And so when you understand the human person in this way, we see that this flesh that Paul keeps talking about here, this flesh is the process of our mind and heart and body that is aimed at and desiring of sin. And that path, that rut, always results in death. It is also clear that this process of the mind and the heart relating and interrelating with the body, when this process is guided by the Spirit, it becomes one in which life and peace and hope naturally comes. Or, should I say, supernaturally comes. So live by the Spirit and not by the flesh. Now, that brings up a very important question. How? Okay, Pastor, what is it that we are to do if we are going to live in the Spirit instead of the flesh? Well, the Christian life is remarkably simple. It's not complicated. It's not easy. And we obviously complicate matters by chasing after the flesh. But the secret that Paul says here is not so secret after all. Set your mind on the things of the Spirit. Now, listen, I'm talking to a bunch of Sunday school graduates. I mean, you guys have been in church for a long time. It it doesn't take a lot of imagination to think, hmm, what are some of the sins that I do on a regular basis? And Hmm, what are some of the things that I really put some effort of mind and heart and body into doing that I'm seeking to please the Lord? You know these things. I don't have to give you a list. You already know them. But, you know, we get our minds in this rut and we really enjoy certain websites and forums that talk about the things that we like to talk about. Or, as we were right, reminded this morning, sometimes we can get on the right websites and our pride can just go straight up because we are better than those other people because they're goofing around playing crush candy. And so... Set your mind on the Spirit. But, but, but it's so hard. Yes. Which brings us to a very important point. For at least the last 4,000 years, God's people have exercised spiritual disciplines. I modified Dallas Willard's definition. Spiritual disciplines are activities of the mind and body purposefully undertaken to bring our personality and total being into effective cooperation with God the Spirit. There are many, 
and I'm not going to get into them. But perhaps the first spiritual discipline to exercise is memorizing Scripture. You've heard me say it before. I personally know of no other single discipline that will lead so certainly and so quickly to spiritual growth than to hide God's Word in your heart. What's that you're thinking? Oh, I'm too old, Pastor Greg. You don't know how hard it is to memorize Scripture when you're as old as I am. Huh. All right. Well, let's think about that for a moment. Or maybe some of the rest of us are thinking, oh, I'm, I, I, I'm just too busy. Well, you know what? I suggest this. I suggest you take whichever of those two excuses, I mean, um, yeah, let's just be honest with each other, right? Excuses. You take those to God and ask Him. And see if He doesn't give you a solution of things that you can cut out of your life. Furthermore, when we exercise spiritual disciplines, we always must do so through God's grace. And God's grace is God's power for me to accomplish kingdom purposes that I could not do on my own. Which, guess how many I can do on my own? Hmm, not many. So go and ask God. God, give me the grace to memorize Scripture. Start with Romans 8.1. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Ask Him to help you. And then do something about it. You know, if you just say, Oh God, please let me memorize the book of Leviticus. and then you never put the effort into doing that, what are the chances of it happening? Slim to none. Instead, say, Lord, help me. Lord, I believe that one of the many, I am certainly not saying this is the only one, and I'm not even saying it's the one God would have you start with tonight. But let's say it is. Lord, one of the spiritual disciplines is memorizing Scripture. Open my eyes to knowing what Scriptures to memorize and then give me, help me with the discipline I need. Now, if you believe in a supernatural, all-powerful, all-loving God who is all good, don't you think He would want you to enable you to do that? Don't you think God would be enthusiastic in helping you to memorize Scripture? And, and wait, there's another objection to memorizing Scripture. And that is, oh, but Pastor Greg, what you don't understand is that I read and read and read and read and it's so hard to get stuck in my head. Well, I've got a question for you. Let's say you took the next seven days and you read... Ten times, Romans 8.1. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. You, you read that out loud ten times every single day. And you came here next Sunday night and you tried to get it and you messed it up. Now let me ask you a question. Would that be a terrible thing that you ran that verse through your head 70 times? It would not. You can't fail. 
when you prayerfully, relying on God's grace, go to God's Word to put it in your heart, you cannot fail. I'm not asking you to win little plastic brownie buttons for Awana here. Although we need help in the fall. So come back. And those would be some excellent verses for you to memorize. Last week I was telling you my daughter and I were working on Matthew 28, 20 and Joshua 1, 9. And then uh, someone mentioned Romans 8, 1 and I thought, I'm preaching on that next Sunday. I've got to teach my daughter that. Yeah, we're working on it. And you will find whatever it is, whatever disciplines you start to undertake, what you will find is that they are hard. They are difficult. You have an enemy of your soul and he doesn't want you doing it. So if it's hard for you to memorize Scripture, guess what? Welcome to the real world. And fortunately, at this point, Paul gives us a powerful promise. A powerful, powerful promise. And this promise is immediately followed by two ramifications, two two consequences. Maybe you could say two results. Here's the promise. It's found in verse 9. You, however, are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit. You, however, are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit. In the Spirit, if in fact the Spirit of God dwells in you, anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to Him. You are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit. You don't have to obey that tendency towards sin that is natural. Because you have the Spirit in you, and by definition, you have available to you a supernatural life. Now, the results of this reality is that we now have life. A righteous life because Christ has given it to us in verses 10 and 11. Then, because we have this life that the Spirit empowers, that Christ has given, we are also therefore debtors to the Spirit to then live by that Spirit, verses 12 and 13. And these two points in four verses serve as the backbone, the fundamental teaching for the Christian life that Paul gives us in these words. So let's look at verses 10 and 11. Paul writes, But if Christ is in you, although the body is dead because of sin, the Spirit is life because of righteousness. If the Spirit of Him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, He who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give you to you, sorry, uh, will also give life to your mortal bodies through His Spirit who dwells in you. Now, I love Paul. I love the biblical writers for one reason among many. And that is, they work hard to give us different words. They, they give us different facets, like in a diamond, so that we can see important realities and our lives, our hearts can be changed accordingly. So, what we see here is this righteous life that the Spirit gives to us. But it's the same kind of life that Jesus speaks about when he's talking to Nicodemus and we have eternal life, life that has already begun and will never end. Or when Paul elsewhere talks about new life, we see this same 
life, the same principle working in us and through us. Now, this is amazing because life, true life in our mind, in our hearts, in our bodies is real life. It is the life that is lived in righteousness because we are no longer than slaves to death. The death that we see all around us. And people are powerless to fight. Don't hate the people you see making bad decisions on TV. They are blind and they are spiritually dead. Pray for them. Love them. Share with them the good news of Jesus that you have because you are living that life that the Spirit gives you. And this life is not what the world will tell you. The, the world will tell you, you need freedom! Freedom! You need pleasure freedom. You need freedom to have all the debt you want. You need to have emotional freedom, which they take to, to say whatever you want to say whenever you want to say it. But freedom is two things. It's the desire and the ability to do what is best in any given situation. Freedom is the desire and the ability to do what is best in any given situation. And you can look at your activities and see, is this freedom? Am I able to desire and am I able to do what is best in a given situation? And what we will find is that the worldly freedoms that are touted all over the place are really just different forms of slavery. Which brings us to the second consequence of being in the Spirit instead of in the flesh. Verses 12 and 13. Paul continues, So then, brothers, we are debtors, not to the flesh, to live according to the flesh. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. This my friends, is another promise. Let's look at an analogy. Um, I want everybody right now to check their pulse. Um, are you alive? Okay, good. Uh, breathing, everybody in here breathing? You got some breath going? Right now, you are a debtor to oxygen. You have no oxygen, guess what? You have no life. And given plus or minus a minute or two, you're, you're done. And because of that, you are a debtor to oxygen. Now the point is that you must breathe. And in spiritual life, life in the Spirit, you are a debtor to walk in the Spirit. Now again, I'm not preaching a sermon on the spiritual disciplines. That's for another time. But what I will say though is that if you are in an atmosphere of death because the world and your flesh just wants to suck you down into living for the flesh, then you better believe it's a fight. It's a discipline at best to live in and for and by the Spirit. 
Is it hard to pray? It should be. Because you're still in your flesh. Is it hard to concentrate on God's Word? Probably. But this is what I know. This is what I know both from experience and what I know from other people who have walked this path further than I have. As you exercise your muscles, as you do these various spiritual exercises, you get stronger. As you walk in the Spirit, you, you realize, I can memorize Scripture. God has done it for me. God has done it in me and through me and by me. And I don't have to live in some spiritual death. And I don't need to be afraid of some cosmic cop because I didn't do my spiritual disciplines this night. No. But as you do them, you will grow stronger. And you will be able to be freed from the death of the flesh. So live by the Spirit or you will die by the flesh. Now in this case... The death by the flesh is death because there are consequences to allowing yourselves to be enslaved by that which cannot give life. On the other hand, doing those things which the world says is slavery is anti-freedom, namely protecting your body, mind, and heart for your spouse and nobody else. Spending daily time with the Lord. Disciplining yourself for the many aspects of life that you cannot predict and you certainly cannot overcome without some very intentional preparation involving God's Word. You will find that if you will not discipline yourself to do these things, that the world is disciplining you to chase after the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. But a life that includes specifically chosen spiritual disciplines like prayer, like Bible study, like fasting, like Scripture memory, among other things that the Lord will guide you into, doing these things will empower you for the life that you can live by God's grace. God's grace His power working in us to accomplish that which we cannot accomplish of our own and which will bring about God's purposes is what we are a debtor to. I've said this before. Grace is opposed to earning, but grace is not opposed to effort. And this... We will find out a little more in verses 14 through 17. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons, by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit Himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with Him in order that we may also be glorified with Him. Now, a fair question at this point, a good question at this point in the text is, what exactly is the Spirit-filled life? Now, there is so much confusion. 
There is so much bad advice about this. But we can cut through a lot of it if we just look at specifically what Paul says. Paul says that we are those who are led by the Spirit of God, are children of God. So, ask yourself some questions. Am I paying attention to God? Do I go through my day as a practical atheist? Oh, yeah, I went to church on Sunday. I, I took that vitamin. I'm done with that. Am I living to make God's desires my desires? They are not, by the way, because I am a sinful human being. God's desires are not my desires, but am I desiring that they are? Do I want to be someone who puts my heart on the things that God loves? Do I actually make daily decisions in light of the fact that God is God and I am not? Woo! <laughs> okay, let's get back to preaching. Do I ask God to guide me in what disciplines I may need to exert myself to live because of my own fleshly desires that Jesus commanded me to crucify? It takes diligence. It takes vigilance. It takes God's power to accomplish kingdom purposes that I don't have of my own. It takes grace. And relying on God's grace in the face of spiritual disciplines might look like this. Lord, I want to memorize Scripture. I need you to give me a mind that is able to focus on that. Fair enough. Thank you for giving it to me, Jesus. Amen. So then, whatever means you use, it could be the smartphone that you don't want to let make you stupid. It might be a piece of paper that you carry around in your pocket. It might be a piece of paper we've done in the past. Donna and I have taped them up on our mirrors in the bathroom so that we see it at least twice a day. Whatever means you use, find a means. Find a means to use and say, Lord, okay, I'm going to try this. And then do it. And, and, and worship and praise Jesus for enabling you to do it. And you know what? If you fail, pick up and do it the next day. My, my discipline that I focus the most on is I read Scripture and then I write a devotional to my young men and my wife. I have been doing horribly at it this week and last so should I panic and just read a whole bunch of chapters really fast and catch up on the 10 or 15 chapters I'm behind? Or should I just recognize that I'm a sinful, fallen human being and just pick up and start again tonight or tomorrow morning and just rejoice that the Lord's grace forgives me? Yeah, that sounds a whole lot better. It sounds a whole lot freer. It sounds gracious and there's something else about this pursuing the spirit-filled life there's something about pursuing exercising spiritual disciplines and i love how paul turns straight to adoption paul wants to cast out all our fears 
Paul wants to cast out our fears and remind us that we are children. Abba, Daddy, Baba, I want you. And the heart that says, Abba, Father, is not the heart that says, ha, 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 ha. I did my spiritual disciplines 26 days in a row, and I did them for two hours a day, and I memorized five verses a week. No, 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 no. Abba, I need you. I need to know you better so that I will love you and trust you more. That is what it means to live in the Spirit. And Paul makes this crystal clear. The Spirit Himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs! Heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ! Provided we suffer with Him in order that we may also be glorified with Him. What? 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 Doggone it, I was just getting so excited about being safe and being loved because I'm talking to Abba Father and then you had to go throw in provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified. What's the deal, Paul? I'm going to tell you a secret. You are going to suffer in this life. Is that a secret to anybody? Anybody here? You are going to suffer in this life. Yep. Doesn't matter what you do. Doesn't matter how many verses you memorize. Doesn't matter how many prayer retreats you go on. Doesn't matter how often you fast. You are going to suffer in this life. You will suffer because of your sin. You will suffer because of other people's sin. That has nothing to do with you. You will suffer... Because you exercise spiritual disciplines. And this suffering, all of it, if done with a heart of Abba, Father, I want to know you, that kind of suffering, that kind of walking in the Spirit will make you stronger than your walk in the flesh which all of us still do every day. And so, when suffering does come your way, when you suffer in this life because of whatever reason, this suffering will enable you to know by faith what Paul begins our teaching next week with. Romans 8.18 For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. By the way, if you already have Romans 8.1 memorized, Romans 8.18, bring it next week because I'm probably going to repeat that verse as many times as I did Romans 8. How will you and I find the hope we need in this life of messy relationships? Of messy sufferings? Of messy, fruitless fears and confusions by trusting the promises of God for you in Christ. And that is how you will then live by the Spirit and not die by the flesh. And significantly, we will find that by God's grace, we already have our first promise. 
There is therefore now no condemnation. No matter how many times you fail at your spiritual disciplines, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And Lord, we come to you because we cannot do this ourselves and we must have God the Spirit working in us and through us to conquer those fears and those sins and those the slavery that we have to so many things that we are addicted to and god we ask that you would remove these idols so that we would trust in you and god we recognize that's going to entail work and it's going to involve fundamentally grace give us to know this in our hearts and in our minds and in our bodies so that we may be the men and women of God you have created us to be. In Jesus' name, amen.